You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. Well, good morning. A uh, special good morning if you're new or visiting, and, and a shout out or a, a good morning or good afternoon to those that are listening online. That's great that you can join us through technology. And we are concluding this morning, as you might have heard in a reading just before, uh, we are concluding 13 chapters, 15 sermons. We're concluding our sermon on the book of Hebrews. And uh, to summarize, <laughs> to summarize all of that, to take us where we've been so far, the journey though thus far is our series has been called Jesus is Better Than. And, and the writer of Hebrews has been encouraging the early Christians, pretty much us, 2,000 years ago, those that are following Jesus, to consider that Jesus is better than their heroes, their goals, their dreams. He's better than the ones they talk about, the prophets, Moses, the law, their systems, their leaders, their needs, their wants. He is above it, he's in it, and he's better than it. The writer pleading with the people, pleading with us to deconstruct what we follow. And because you know this, right, that it's not just Christians that follow something. It's everybody. Everybody follows something. And the writer here is asking us to consider what it is that we follow. What king do we serve? What hero do we look up to? And realize that Jesus is better than it. And then to hold on to him as that produces life, eternal life, in us and through us and into heaven eternally. So to sum up the essence of the book, he's inviting his people, well, actually, let's read two passages and see if we can figure out the essence of this book and what he's inviting us into. So we've got Hebrews 2.10, for it is fitting, right at the beginning of Hebrews, it says, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. And then let's skip to the end, Hebrews 12, 2, just read just before, looking to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Anyone want to call out the word that they hear in those two passages? The beginning, the book ends, if you will. That's right. Founder. To sum up this book, if there was a thesis that this book was writing, (laughs) if it had a purpose, it is to encourage the reader to make Jesus the foundation. I've got a picture on the screen of a foundation. Big concrete slab to make Jesus this, the foundation of our life. So, first question, rather simplistic but profound if seriously asked, is Jesus your foundation? Are you placing Jesus at the foundation each day? Is Jesus your foundation? And what does this practically look like? When you make a decision... When you make plans for the future, when you decide where you're going to live, when you budget, when you shop, when you have conversations with your spouse, when you work out how to raise your kids, when you decide what friends or people you'll let into your life, who will influence you, who will have a say, is the first question, is this what God wants? 
Or is it something different? Like mentioned, is there a different vision, a different king, a different foundation that you place things on? Disclaimer, I'm not saying having a Jesus foundation is not necessarily doing what your Christian parents want, if you have that, or Christian friends, although they're good for discernment, that's what the church is, or even your pastor or your church and what they think is right. Again, good for discernment and hopefully encouraging and hopefully good to help you find what God is looking for or what God is saying. But first and foremost, your foundation is Jesus. Take it to God first. And if not, (laughs) if I can simplify 15 weeks, then the writer's saying you should. Because Jesus is the best foundation you can have in your life. And he's saying, can I encourage you, church, to find ways to acknowledge his betterness in everything? After all, that's why we do what we do right now, right? That's why we meet Sunday morning 9 to 11. That's why we sit here. That's why we sing. That's why we send ourselves around communion. That's why we hear a message. That's why we have coffee together, tea or water or whatever your drink of choice is. That's why we encourage each other. That's why we pray for you. Because deeper than the music, deeper than the religious practice, deeper than the preaching is a commitment to each other to gather around, to gather each other and acknowledge our foundation. And teach those spiritually younger who have joined us, our spiritual or actual kids, that this is our foundation, that this is what matters. This makes Sunday a spiritual discipline. You don't attend the church, you be the church. And we be the church Sunday morning to remind ourselves of the foundation. Again, if you want to build your life on something else this morning, I've said this many times in the past few sermons, go for it. This is not about guilt. If you believe there's something else, uh, money, comfort, religious works, if there's something else that you think is better than Jesus, come let me know. Because so far, since the ancient writers wrote this book, 2,000 years later, there still isn't anything better. So I don't reckon you have something. But let me know. Willing to listen. Jesus is better. But that's not quite the series. That's not quite the book over. Because what do you do? Here's a question. What do you do on a foundation? What's a foundation for? That's right. (laughs) Not a trick question. You build on it. Here's another picture from the job site of the framing being put in. Foundations are made to build something on. And so this is exactly what the next one and a half chapters speak about in Hebrews as we finalise this series. Let's take a look. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, 
to resort it with tears. Kicks off with a warning. Passage kicks off with a warning. If you're going to, it speaks about perseverance, which Josh spoke about last week. And classic Bible, classic biblical teaching, doesn't go from, I guess, the external, goes straight to the internal. It talks about what God is building in us on this foundation. With Jesus at your foundation, it gives us his warnings. Be careful not to grow a root of bitterness. To put it plainly, don't grow into or out of a pain. Don't let that stick with you. As Josh said, lose it last week. Drop it. Run this race, which is a marathon, without that because otherwise you grow with that. We've all come across people outside and actually, unfortunately, inside the church that have grown with pain, grown into a pain. They've probably been hurt themselves and then therefore they hurt so many stories of people that don't gather anymore, that don't come to be encouraged because they were the, the exact opposite happened to them. Don't let a hurt, a thing that was said, grow in you. Drop it, give it to Jesus. I'm not saying it didn't hurt. I'm not saying just get over it. Give it to Jesus. Because God wants to build something in you. That's eternal, that's powerful, that's good. What is God building in you? I want us to consider that. That is our next question if you're taking notes. He talks about sexuality in Esau. Esau sold, if you don't know the story, Esau sold his birthright because he was hungry, like really hungry. And then it talks about sex. Sex, the flesh, the desires can be fantastic within its designed purpose. But many things have been destroyed because of this temptation. Many lives have been unable or taken off course on what they were building because of one dumb night of the flesh, one unthought out action because we're hungry. <laughs> How many mistakes have been made? He saw the first of them because he's hungry. God wants to build something in, through, in you and through you. Don't sell everything God is building in you for something of the flesh. One quick decision, one fleshly desire can unravel everything. All that foundation, all that he wants to do in you, don't mess up what God wants to build and through you for a quick fix. So what does God want to build then, Steve? If I've laid this foundation, if I hear what you're saying, Steve, what does he want to build? Well, listen to this. And the writer starts using some uh, language from Exodus, some prophetic language. You might hear this in Revelations. It's more poetic. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a temptress and the sound of a trumpet. This is from 18. And a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beach touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Moses talking about what is kind of God's planning room in the Jewish narrative, which is both a literal place, Mount Zion, and both a spiritual place in their minds. But basically there's this planning room where God is planning this ongoing plan that's been going and will go for eternity. And Moses saw a glimpse of that and he trembled with fear. This unraveling, powerful plan. 
come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in the festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Blood that is spilt, but it speaks a better word. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him, who warned them on earth, much less will it be escaped if we reject him. Who warns from heaven at the time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once again I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken, the things of this earth that will be shaken, church. I'm going to be left behind. Because there is something eternal coming from Mount Zion. There is a plan unfolding. Therefore, let us be grateful, receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Lots of images, church. Lots of images on the news at the moment of Australia and in this, this consuming fire. And that we've been praying for that as a church and we're going to continue to. But this is the good type of fire, that image of something that is overtaking everything. This is from God. An unshakable kingdom. Lots in that passage, but the symbolism here is an encouragement of the grandeur and power that is stirring in your lives if you know Jesus. He cast the people, as said, to the Mount Zion, a real place that represents the power and revelation, or the planning room, as said, of God's work here on earth. And it speaks of what's to come. His moves from the very beginning. An unshakable kingdom. So that's what it looks like. The kingdom. Unable to be shaped or boxed in. What do you think the next few passages are going to say? What's it look like for you to build that kingdom? What's it look like you to step out into that, that kingdom? Well, at this point, sometimes we put the horse before the cart. Here's what my imagination, where my imagine takes me as I hear that prophetic language around a kingdom. I bet it's going to say something like, you'll see people at your workplace fully convert. They'll all start coming to church. You will see revival on the work site. A cloud will descend in your street and lightning will fill your house and people from all over will line up at your door. We'll have revival night. And instead of 4% of Burley being Christians, 98% because they'll convert and we'll have 16 services to fit them all in. Well, here's one that I let my imagine run a bit wild with. I'll preach a sermon. That's absolutely most, the most perfect speed. <laughs> not too fast, not too slow. And it will echo past uh, the, our entire Burley. We'll hear it from a PA. And people will say, who was Billy Graham? As they hear me preach. And it will echo from a PA and people will miraculously hear it and people will kneel down on the streets of Burley heads and they will repent. <laughs> look there's nothing wrong with having an imagination there's nothing wrong with hope and all of that is possible not through me not through human works but through Jesus and I get that and it's good to have hope it's good to have vision it's good to have dreams but 
let's be careful what we're preaching, church, what we're saying. Because biblically, the kingdom practically is described different. Here's, don't take it from me. Don't at all take it from me. Take it from Jesus. Here's what he says about the kingdom. The kingdom, un- untainable, unboxed in consuming fire, is like a man who sowed good seeds in his field. The kingdom of heaven, in another verse he says, is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. Or the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in her bread until it was leavened. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid for joy as he goes and sells everything to buy that field. This is talking about something being built, something being grown, seeds. Kim Heaven looks like it starts with something being built in us on that foundation, built out of us as we grow. So it makes more sense what how Hebrew says this all-consuming fire plays out within his church. Listen to this. Let brother, from 13, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For there, for some of you have entertained angels. Remember those that are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honour among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Love. Hospitality for even strangers. Visiting the outcast. Sitting with the sinners. Protecting your marriage. Being content in what you have. Being content and secure in who you are. Jesus and what he is doing. Being content in Jesus and what he is doing. Kingdom of heaven, practically the seeds that are sown and built in our lives look like this. Being obedient in the little things. Making time for the awkward person at work. Not always looking for what's the next purchase that will help your life be, but being generous and content even when things are tight. Making time for your family and friends. Building your family. Being an example to them, showing them that Jesus is a genuine foundation of your life. Setting date night, seriously. How's this? Practically, the kingdom, the ever-expanding, ever-growing, unimaginable, un, like I guess, consuming fire that is the kingdom is sometimes just about date night, about protecting your marriage, serving people and blessing people. Yes, church, it is sometimes unsexy. I get that. Sometimes you even feel like you're not making big, epic, eternal, hard changes. But God wants you to know those things are like seeds. As John 15 tells us, they grow and are shaped by the Spirit into something. This is what happens when people lay their foundation on Jesus, or He is their foundation. All the things spoke about just before the consuming, unshakable kingdom comes out of the church, letting the kingdom grow in their schools, in their workplaces, in their streets, in their home, and they're encouraged by gathering as a church. This is the vision of the kingdom. This is what it looks like to be the church. 
glimmer of light connecting with the poor, the op shop connecting here with the community, playground connection with parents, pleasant Sunday afternoon connection with an element of changing times and healing. These are some of the things we run and do as a church. Or even beyond that, then we empower the people, right? Because you are the church and you go out there. And so we have things like this at the moment. This is what the kingdom looks like. Bev, connecting with some ladies, some widows at Sea Change. The Englishers, many of us have been visited by the Englishers when life has been tough or we just need someone to see us. When they visit you, do you realize that it may not be an official program of the church, but they are Burley Church of Christ visiting you. That is the church visiting you. James, meeting with the young men and women who do so much for our country as an army chaplain, is Burley Church of Christ, is kingdom building through him there. John McGee managing and supervising, looking after those that put their life on the line. If dedicated to God, which I know it is, he's planting seeds of the kingdom through his workplace. Mary and Anne and Jess are meeting with mums and others fortnightly. People meeting in their homes, running Alpha, hosting Alpha. Lauren, Jeremy, Jono, Rachel, who are looking after students in schools, guiding them. John and Miriam who do the work of healing people in the hospital. So many more here. Do you understand that's church, church? Do you understand that's kingdom moving church? Do you understand that's spreading seeds, church? If Ray, as Ray, as Ray walks into his workplace and prays for God to use him to guide his business practice, the people that he'll meet that day, as he prays for God to allow him to be Jesus, do you realize that as much as the kingdom, as we allow it, but it's as much as the kingdom as 9 to 11 on Sunday morning? Sunday mornings are not a bad thing. It's talked about their spiritual discipline of encouragement. But if we can shift our mindset, church, if we can shift it, back to the way that the kingdom was set out to be, that you can't box the thing in, that it overflows, it's consuming and unshakable, then I think we'll be a church that's ready to move in 2020. <laughs> um, it excites me. It will be something to be reckoned with because we'll have a foundation as Jesus and we will gather around that foundation, we'll encourage each other, we'll grow together in smaller groups even and then we will go into the world, bringing the kingdom with it. But just before I wrap up, just before we wrap up this entire series, his last two warnings the writer wants to give us. So you're building, you're working along, there are ways that you can be derailed from kingdom work. Let's just have a look at those verses. Remember your leaders, it says in 13.7. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. This message hasn't changed. This is Jesus' message for the last 2,000 years. Don't steal away from it. For it is good for the hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. For we have an altar from those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest is a sacrifice for sin are burnt outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. Remembering, just reminding us of that gospel. 
Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured, for here we have no lasting city. But we seek the city that is to come through him, and then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to the God, to God that is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Lastly, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls and those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honourably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Super quick. You're going about being the church and you're doing kingdom work, and then someone comes in, and they're like, hey, church, hey, gathering, figured out revelations. No one's figured it out the last 2,000 years, but I've figured out the code, and Jesus is coming back tomorrow. I've seen it time and time and time again. The church is distracted because Jesus coming back tomorrow is way more exciting and sexier, if I can say that two lines together, than serving the poor and inviting people into your home than forgiving. It's exciting, right? I get why it's exciting, but again and again, the church falls to these strange teachings. Nothing wrong with seeing the signs of end times, but don't get distracted by these things. Don't get consumed by these things. Or someone will come in and say, King James only, you're reading the Bible, you're reading the wrong Bible. Seeing whole churches split over what version they read, not reading the Bible, not about reading the Word, but what version they read. It's embarrassing. Minds narrow, we get distracted over these things. Someone comes in and says, you're doing evangelism wrong. You need to be knocking on the people's doors in this town, in this city, and you need to be telling them they're going to hell. You're doing it all wrong. Now, if you have the gift of evangelism, if you do door knocking, I'm not knocking you. And that's fine, that's great. We want to pray for you, we want to commission you in that. But people get distracted because suddenly we're not inviting strangers, we're not inviting people doing hospitality well. We're not protecting our marriage, we're being distracted by something else that it's not telling us to do. And I sound passionate about this. You might be like, yeah, we get this, Steve. Why are you talking about this? Maybe that's you. Why? This doesn't seem like something we're doing at the moment. We're not distracted by this. I know, but how many churches, even this year, have I heard that have become undone around King James versions, around style of music, around end times teaching? Seriously. Around extravagant false prophecies. Around communion tables moved. Seriously. Churches this year have split over communion table positioning. It's embarrassing. Church Christ movement was planted on this idea that the essentials, which is Jesus, we can be unified around. We can have a foundation on that. And then in the unessentials, we can talk about it, we can wrestle with it, we can preach about the unessentials, but we have liberty and love because we cannot be distracted from the kingdom that is of hand. The essentials, foundation of Jesus, building and growing in his spirit and going with the kingdom, with the king.
The second distraction is what I call delegation or outsourcing. Passage reads and talks about obey your leaders and submit to them. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. The number one way I see Christian leaders, pastors, elders or volunteers or ministry workers get burnt today is the church believes that they can outsource kingdom work to them. Let me explain. Kind of like some of our Christian school teachers here would see parents that drop their kids off at their Christian school and there's nothing wrong with Christian schools. It creates a wonderful environment to flourish and grow. But parents drop their kids off at their school and say, we don't have to do any discipleship at home. We're outsourcing to the school. Make my kids a Christian. (laughs) I've seen churches employ the likes of Josh, a youth worker, and say, Josh, fix our youth ministry. Convert kids or our grandkids. But we, we don't want to do anything about it. Just you do it, please. I can list three or four churches in our movement in Queensland that have done this over the last four years. The youth minister, and I'm not judging them, I just got to be careful about this. The youth minister has said, will you help me? And the congregation has said no. The youth minister has said, will you speak nicely to the kids even though they make a mess? The church has said no. He said, will you change anything to allow them to come in? And the church has said no. But can you do it soon, they've said, because we're leaking kids and we need more of them. Fix our church. The last youth minister I heard about this was a girl, a friend of mine, that stepped into a church like that was a couple of years ago and after constant groaning and complaints of them placing the kingdom work all on her, she knew she had finished up at that church when she came in one day and the employment board that lists the people, that engrave the people that work at that church had scratched her name out of it. She knew that day that she wasn't welcome at that church and she probably hasn't been back from what I know properly in church ever since. Youth, faith, the kingdom, reaching the next generation, hospitality, generosity, being content is something God wants to do in you. Yes, our leaders, you have a massive responsibility to try and steward and lead that. And don't worry, we know, at least I know the leadership here, they know the spiritual and emotional pressure that it takes. But church, you are the kingdom. You are the church. The priesthood of all believers is something I hear quoted a fair bit in kind of an empowerment membership type of way, but it's not about that. It's about everyone representing Jesus and bringing the kingdom no matter where and who they are. The priest of all believers isn't about power, it's about responsibility. So kingdom building is best avoided, according to the writer in Hebrews, when one, to sum it up, we make it about something else that's not kingdom work, or number two, we make it about someone else. We try to outsource our kingdom work to someone. So let's summarise. A couple of questions as we... We bring this, hopefully this thing, we land this entire 15 sermons, this entire series. Questions to ask you, yourself, your small table, your, your spouse, whoever's in your life, whoever you trust, talk about this. Is Jesus your foundation, number one? If so, how are you daily reminding yourself of this? Number two, where is the kingdom being built in you? And if you don't recognise that, do you have some people close to you that will help you? What practices in your life are allowing this? Number three, what are you building? 
whose kingdom is taking ultimate priority in your life? What are you building? And then let me give three. I don't like always giving like, uh, I'm careful with practical application. It's good, but I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm not trying to give you a new law. God doesn't love you more because of this. It's just some advice outside of this passage, alongside this passage, about how you could answer those three questions in 2020 here at Burley Church of Christ. Number one, find a practice or practices that allow you to reflect on and in the presence of God. I'll give you a cheat sheet. One of these practices is spiritually committing to a congregation or this church that can encourage you each week to keep your foundation on Jesus. Worship is another prayer. Reading the Bible, how can you creatively do more of that? Silence and solitude to be in the presence of God. Number two, find and commit to a small table. What I mean by small table, that's Burley Church Christ language as a small group, two or three or more, that you can gather with some people that are trusted Christians that you can have the hard conversations about the bits of your life that God might be cutting off or might be growing. Find a small table, 2020. Find one way to serve this church in expanding the kingdom. And this is a two-part thing. The last one, even though it's two parts, so technically it's two things. <laughs> Find one way to serve this church in expanding the kingdom in 2020, whether it's multimedia, whether it's cleaning, whether it's helping the op shop, playgroup, kids' church, coffee machine, worship, communion, whatever that is. Find one way to help this church keep going, expanding the kingdom in 2020. And then find one way you can plant kingdom seeds outside the church in 2020. Thus strengthening the body, thus encouraging each other on one hand, and then going yourself with the kingdom and expanding. Lots to reflect on. Lots of information. Lots of sermons. What a shame for none of it. What a shame for it to only be good general knowledge. What a shame for us as a church to take and dedicate that much time to thinking and praying about this for not to change us, church. Make Jesus your foundation. He's the best thing. And if you don't know Jesus, come have a chat to me after. Number two, let him build in you. Find ways, find small table practices, find ways to build and grow in Jesus. And number three, let it leak, let it go out, let's unbox this unshakable kingdom into wherever you are situated. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this book. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for the unboxable, un, kind of, I guess, measurable, unexplainable kingdom that is yours, Lord. And let you be the king, Father, of that kingdom. Let you be our foundation, Lord. Break away strongholds and other foundations in our life, Lord. And Father, we may we grow. May the kingdom be built. May the kingdom be planted in us and built out of us, Lord, and through us, Lord. Let we know that we don't attend church anymore, Father. We are the church. Not as a prideful thing, but with you at the center, the ever-expanding, ever-growing, inviting family table that is the church that is ever-expanding into our spheres. Father, anything that's from the human mind or anything that's from the flesh in the last 15 weeks, Lord, let it fall away and let us forget it before we even reach Chris and grab a coffee. <laughs> and Lord, Father, whatever's from you, let it stick, annoy us, stir within us, Father. Let your Holy Spirit power it. 
Father, and let us see your unshakable kingdom move forward over Christmas and into 2020. In Jesus' name, amen.